Welcome to the Techstars Climate Tech Podcast, where we dive into the climate change crisis and discuss how technology and innovations can help save our planet. I'm your host, Cody Sims. Join us as we talk with sustainability experts, investors, and founders about the issues we're collectively facing today due to climate change and how entrepreneurship can help. Naraj, welcome to the Techstars Climate Tech Podcast. We've gotten to know each other over the last few years through your work with the Nature Conservancy and the partnership you've had with us at Techstars via the Techstars Sustainability Accelerator, as well as the various Techstars sustainability challenges that we've done together. And I'm really excited to have you here today to talk about AI and climate. You've got a deep background in AI. So why don't we start with you sharing a bit about your work in the field, introducing yourself and kind of how you came to focus on climate work. Thanks, Cody. It's a pleasure to be here. And it's always great to chat with you about all things climate, tech, AI. My journey starting AI before it was, I think, even known popularly as AI. I started tinkering with recommendation models. I love to build stuff. I'm an engineer by training. So building becomes natural. Um, and it's kind of what I crave. So I started tinkering with data, unstructured data, text, behaviors, how people interact with information in the learning space, in the HR space. And as I played more and more in that world, I realized that everything rests on the quality of data and everything rests on how do you relate that quality of data to some sort of an impact story, whether it's somebody wanting to become a better version of themselves, somebody wanting to become a healthier version of themselves into somebody that becomes a better version that takes care of the planet a little bit better. And that's been the natural trajectory. As I say, there's three circles of the self, yourself, your work, and then your planet. So as I started looking at what comes after my last exit, wanted to play into the world of climate and see, hey, there's a lot of connection here, a lot of things that you can lean in on. And what excited me about climate data was, you know, the planet doesn't lie. You ask somebody how they feel, they'll tell you, no, good, so-so. But when you ask the planet how it feels, it gives you a number. That's good stuff for AI. Good numbers are good things for AI. So that's been my journey into this world, and I'm excited to talk to you about it. Awesome. I, I love the framework. It's an inspiring view to think about. And indeed, there's a lot of numbers right now around our planet that are scary. So the work you're doing to help us all understand them better and learn how best to mitigate them clearly matters. You know, I'd love to understand a bit more about what your role is with the Nature Conservancy today and also with the Techstars Sustainability Accelerator. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So I joined TNC and as a senior advisor, and I've been working on a lot of Intersections between AI and our work at DNC, climate and tech. And most recently, I've been doing more with conservation tech strategy and enablement, really playing a connector role. We're a very lean and mean team that really works with our conservation customer internally. We have more than 400 scientists at DNC, a global organization. A lot of folks internally and externally in my world plays with that specific persona, tries to help look for AI or tech-shaped problems in our science community, our conservation community. And TNC, as global as it is, I think it also has a local to global dynamic. So that's kind of where a lot of my non-TNC life intersects and factors in. Techstars is a big, big catalyst to that for me, personally, as well as for the organization. The Accelerator has been, this is our third year, we'll be doing a batch this year with 10 more companies coming in, amazing, amazing teams coming in. I co-lead that with August Ritter, my partner in crime with Techstars on the PNC side. Really, again, just looking at how can I bring some product AI tech thinking to those brilliant thinkers coming in with that lens into climate work. I'm an outsider in, right? I came in not as a climate scientist, not as a conservationist, 
but a practitioner of technology looking to solve climate problems. And that's a lot of times you see those kind of folks come through the accelerator. So it's really exciting to see that work happen. The accelerator is a brilliant partnership and I love to tinker with that world. So yeah, that's my day job. Awesome. Well, we certainly appreciate all the insight you bring and, and the, the support you bring to the startups coming through the program. And I know Zach and Maki on the Techstars team love working with you in August. It's a real great partnership for helping startups in the sustainability space. But sort of speaking of that outside-in approach, you're also the CEO of a health tech startup. In addition to all this work you're doing around conservation and with TNC, and I'm interested in hearing, I love hearing cross-disciplinary takeaways because to me, it's easy for us as innovators to kind of get stuck in our silos of innovation. But to me, the biggest breakthrough innovations are ones that can really cross silos. So I'm curious, any big takeaways you have about how AI applies to both climate and the health space? Those are two of the biggest problems facing humanity today, right? Is how do we expand healthcare to more people across the world, especially as we're dealing with this global pandemic? And then also, how do we help mitigate the causes of climate change and also help the world deal with the fact that climate is changing? Between the two, any common problems, any significant differences, in particular to how AI is applied to those spaces? Cody, it, it sounds like two different worlds. And if you start peeling the onions, you start seeing some similarities. And that's been my journey with both of those worlds. Climate's a purpose. Health is a mission. It's home for me. I see the human side of it. I have four clinicians in my house. And it's part of that story where you see the relationship between health and what happens in the real world with the planet, with what's going on with climate. Both of them are very complex systems. And I tend to use this word, they're social networks in their own regard. They have various stakeholders. There's a common customer, the human. There's a lot of facets to policy, to technology, to change, to measurement that happen. And I think both of them lean on that mental model of the map is not really the territory. It's not just a view of a snapshot of time. Everything is connected. Choices are connected. Lots of data, clean data, ugly data, lots of messy data. At the same time, behaviors, insights, storytelling are all very much the themes of both those contexts, I guess, or spaces. That's when I see some common problems emerge. You kind of have a systemic model of existence and you really want to lean on AI to understand complexity and parts of that complexity. A lot of unstructured data exists. There's imagery in climate. There's imagery in healthcare. There is streaming data about an individual and streaming data about health of the planet. Um, There's a lot of different rules of different cultures of people that want have that have a different relationship with health. Same thing with climate. What works in India might not work in Seattle or in Washington, right? Like you have different ways of that local, global, the whole and the individual have different abstractions. That's where you start getting into some of those commonalities and you start seeing some patterns. And I love playing with those mixes because it really does keep you honest on both fronts to innovate with that human in the center. That's the extent of the commonality that I've seen work best and the abstraction that works best. Differences, if I were to think of, you can name a lot. I think topical, the urgency, health is more visible. Climate is almost becoming more visible now, but has always been a very science-driven, argumentative space of making. And I think you know, that's where you're starting to see some of the policy, the education, the awareness side of innovation. AI, when it comes to them being different, comes to the value of data, ownership of data, quality of data, 
the, the what problems are we really trying to solve? A lot of healthcare is focused on the individual, the, the patient, and the climate is focused on the system. Our planet technically is the patient. That's where you're kind of seeing a change of the actor, which means change of how data translates to models, translates to an outcome. That's where the nuances really occur. So yeah, really harp on this for an whole hour, but there's a lot of things that you can start seeing in both of those systems that are in action. That's a great way to frame it. Thanks for sharing that. I'd love to dive in on where AI is really impacting climate tech today, the work you're doing with the Nature Conservancy and, and our accelerator. What problems in the climate space do you see most leveraging AI today? What are the most dynamic areas? I personally am seeing a lot happening right now in computer vision for understanding changes in our national environment. I suspect there's a lot of AI training involved in things like DNA sequencing for synthetic biology solutions that can help create new versions of traditionally carbon-intensive tissues, materials, food alternatives, et cetera. But really, I'm curious what you see and also what areas of this problem is the Nature Conservancy specifically interested in? Yeah, that's a big question. There's a lot of opportunity to lean on AI, but I think right now areas where we do need to get a little bit deeper than just pretty PowerPoints, as I call them, is understanding condition, measuring condition. This is some of the work that PNC is very keen on, and the conservation science teams have a lot of insight on this. There is a lot of difference in the type of land or type of resource you're trying to measure condition off. So one size doesn't fit all. There's a lot of discussion, opportunity, innovation that can exist in that space of assessing condition, assessing how much carbon is stored in a rainforest versus how much carbon is stored in a grassland. And you start looking at what type of carbon, right? Green carbon, blue carbon, you're starting to look at what is happening under the surface with marine areas and seaweed and some of those innovative spaces where we're starting to understand the role of data, the role of imagery, the role of sensors to really assess condition. And that's one of the biggest thematic areas for AI. I also feel like there's an opportunity to really get into some of the generational aspect of AI, where you start understanding or predicting either a condition, risk, a state change, or a future reality. One person that you know I can name right now, Mark Gehring at DNC, leads work on a digital twin. There's a great internal cohort of practitioners that have been trying, practicing, tinkering with Internet of things, especially as it pertains to climate and measuring condition and replicating it, Matt Merrifield out of the California chapter. Just amazing work going on in understanding condition and using that to create a digital representation. That's the place where I think once we start doing that, we can start modeling what good, bad, ugly, extreme looks like without the expense of climate, really implementation expense. So you start looking at AI's role in assessing or predicting change, predicting risk, predicting condition. Those are some of the areas that I do see there's a lot of potential. And you brought up a great example with synthetic biology solutions and leaning in on product or chemical simulations. There was actually a Techstars company, I forget the name, but there is a, a really, really good company that came out of the Heritage Group Accelerator that has been focused on doing AI to rapidly model what certain chemical reactions will factor into. You're using the power of data and modeling to essentially accelerate experimentation in a space that needs that. That stuff, that is where you really have a lot of potential with AI. It gives a scientist working in the climate space that superpower to 10x their velocity 
of analysis. It doesn't have to be a moonshot all the time. It can be something that addresses a very specific need that might not be the sexiest solution, but it solves the best potential scale opportunity that we might have. Empower those scientists, empower those individuals doing the change with tech, right? So that's where I see AI really helping at this current point in the juncture. Lots of opportunity. So that's kind of where we are today. Think about where we were 10 years ago in terms of where AI was and its ability to help with these problems. And think how rapidly the compute power has changed over the last 10 years and the speed of change at which it's changing today. Like, I'm curious what you're optimistic about over the coming decade. What's barely possible now that you think will be very doable in five years, 10 years time? That's a good question, because when you think compute, and I'm biased, because when I think compute, I'm like the cloud. But the reality has been you're seeing a lot of edge solutions now take on the power that didn't really exist before. I mean, that's happened with our phones, right? Like, look at the amount of power we had in our handhelds. Last mile solutions have a lot of opportunity to lean on compute advancements, right? Especially in regions where connectivity is an issue or you need rapid decision making for somebody on the field, somebody that's collecting on the ground data that's working with implementation or interventions on the ground. We really need to empower them with smarter tools. It doesn't have to be, hey, let me collect data, wait to go to my workstation, upload it and wait for processing. There are use cases for that, but a lot of science needs to become decision-making support very rapidly. And I think that's the part that really excites me. August uses a really good analogy, and I, I love it because it actually is spot on. We have a lot of insights on traffic conditions on our map apps, right? Like we know exactly how, how long it's going to take for me to get from here to the airport, any time of the day, even predictive. That's last mile information, no pun intended, on my phone about what I need to do, what information I can have at hand. All of it is possible because of concrete and amount of data. We need something like that in climate space, in decision-making happening when we're intervening. We're looking at assessing condition and making adjustments on the fly. It really accelerates that rapid adaptive management cycle. It really accelerates what happens between implementing, monitoring, learning, planning, you know, that cycle goes faster with more compute. So edge AI, edge solutions, last mile tech, all of which can use compute in a better way, in a much more powerful way. That's where I think there's a lot of potential and exciting stuff too. Yeah, super cool. Zooming way out from that, from the local and the edge level is what I see as the convergence of climate tech and space tech. I mean, these two worlds seem pretty distinctly separate right now. Separate sets of investors are kind of looking at these spaces different backgrounds of entrepreneurs, but I'm seeing some crossover. You know, I'm starting to see entrepreneurs who have a background in satellite tech or worked at SpaceX or, or worked at NASA starting to tackle climate-related problems and, and vice versa. And I'm curious how important you think the growing microsatellite trend is from a climate understanding perspective. You talked about local edge sensing. How much does the sort of eye in the sky view have room to grow and change and inform what we collect and learn about the planet. That is a great opportunity. And I think there's two sides of this coin, right? Like this outcome that we want of a better planet, safer planet, healthier planet. There's science that leans on technology to make innovation. That's DNC. We bring in technology to help advance our work. Then you have the flip, technology that brings in science to advance the work. And so when you talk about satellite companies and folks that want to put things in space and do remote sensing at a level, at the level of innovation that needs to come from tech. It needs to be inside out. The potential to do a lot more of 
different kinds of measurement, hyper-local, high-resolution imagery, getting into advanced sensors that can be plugged in, modularity. I mean, these are things that technologists know in an app. In microservice architecture, if I want to stand up a, an app, I know everything has to be modular because it needs to scale. That stuff, when that sits in a satellite or a nano or a microsatellite and is able to be developed with the intention for science, for climate, has the potential to increase the quality of data, get some scale, allow us to do some more things on that specific device and actually be in insights as opposed to raw data and take away that burden of processing from science and put it over to the technology sites. That's an exciting world. I was reading something about NASA's announcement of a microsatellite or nanosat they, they deployed and, and how modular it is and how much they're able to think about what other sensors they want to put up and start assessing you know, conditions that are between the layers. Um, a lot of potential there. I just think there's some magic. On that note, I think so much of what I see right now in terms of AI and climate is for use cases, like you just mentioned, that are somewhat resilience-oriented, right? I- identifying areas of flood risk, identifying areas of drought risk, fire risk. You know, I'm curious on the mitigation side, what role you see AI playing in terms of opportunities to actually directly reduce carbon emissions in the atmosphere or or directly reduce the amount of CO2 and CO2 equivalent in the atmosphere to help us actually achieve a decarbonized future? That's where I think the trajectory of data and compute both converge in a really good way where we are able to predict not just risk, but actually predict outcomes in a much more measured and confident fashion. This is where we do have an opportunity to think about alternative carbon consumption models or alternative decarbonization models. And I'm speaking about topics that are more science-based and less tech-based, but I can imagine digital twins of carbon scenarios or carbon planning that kind of factor into us solving root cause issues. Let's get away from damage control and get into just root cause prevention. Another analogy with healthcare here, we've seen population health become how healthcare moves. Let's let the patient take control of their health. And that's way better than paying for insurance for covering when something goes wrong. And so that's kind of what we're seeing here too. There's an opportunity for us to lean on AI, data, and some emergent technologies like digital twins specifically to think about what might be the art of the possible. What are some other scenarios where we can get into some carbon capture? scenarios from carbon capture innovations, get into understanding the role of rainforests and start identifying regions where we need to have greater impact. So it's not really assessing risk, but going after ecosystems or eco-regions or areas around the world, which might have the greatest impact in decarbonization and going after that priority work. That becomes a really interesting area for AI and climate to take on. A lot of it, the lift does sit on science and that's the big thing. We've got to empower science. So even figuring out like, hey, we know there are a handful of major climate tipping points. Which ones should we be working to try to to help not happen more urgently than the others potentially? Yes. I think it plays to that role of the social network idea, right? Like the idea that things are connected. We've got to play ourselves through that. Also feels still really far away. It's also good for innovators and entrepreneurs who are listening to this to be realistic and also understand what problems are going to persist even as compute powers and innovation cycles continue to increase rapidly? Are there physical limitations to the world that are going to hold us back from understanding certain things, physical limitations that make even advanced AI not be able to solve certain problems for us? 
Yeah, we've seen some work in our rainforests. They are tough to penetrate. And it comes down to something really basic. I'll give a story. We want to understand invasive ginger in, in Maui and, and how can we use technology to understand, one, mitigate its expansion and its spread, but also intervene and, and help our scientists do the right things. Unfortunately, the ginger is in a very dense area. So if you really want to measure, you kind of have to think about how do you measure something without disturbing the local ecology and local biodiversity, essentially not trample over things and change the equation before you even solve it. That's what I think we do have nanotechnology to lean on. There's some advancements we need to think about in those very local specific challenges that are literally on the ground challenges comes to that last math comment I said, it's it's not about putting a screen on something, but really putting a better way to measure condition, understand state, understand change, so the right intervention can kick in. And that intervention could also itself be automated. Smaller drones, wider drones. How do we do this without disturbing the biodiversity or the ecology in that, in that scenario? Is an area where there's a lot of opportunity to innovate, to think about technology and taking it further along that S-curve of, of innovation. Another area I do think there's a lot of potential and it's hard to solve it because of the volume of data and the reach of data is the quality of data, the actual quality of data and the governance around it. We have leaders at PNC that always think about that and have always wondered about the impact of what quality data means and who governs it. You also have that climate is, is like there's a people-nature relationship. And oftentimes, in regions where there needs to be a lot more help or work to be done, the landowners might be different from the ones that are managing them. And you have some data stewardship ethics issues around what kind of analysis you can run on them. So this might not be a tech problem, but definitely an educational or an, an avenue to really think about data more holistically. How can we get to better quality data? How do we really think about making use of data in the right way and not empowering the wrong solutions, I guess? and not damaging as we get along in this measurement challenge. I mean, those sound also like real problems for entrepreneurs who are crossing over from being sort of pure software, AI developers who are trying to solve these real world problems. I mean, those are going to be skill sets that folks are going to have to learn, I'm guessing, in a pretty big way. Do you have any advice for entrepreneurs? I mean, you've seen lots of founders work in this space. Any entrepreneurs who are embarking on their first sort of foray into combining their computer science background with sort of a physical real-world challenge? It really comes down to science and ground-truthing. And this is something that even Techstars talks about. The problem discovery stage is so important with this space. And it's so critical to identify the right scale, size, and starting point of the problem. And to not just look at it from, I have a global data set, let me build a model. Like, I want to look at how the global data set applies to a local condition, a local situation, addresses scientific factors in those local scenarios. You know, like go to a specific business unit or a specific project in Nairobi. Let's get to a pinpoint on the map where you're going to do your first project and engage with the people to understand the behavioral aspect of this. This is a very systemic challenge. And as engineers, I'm an engineer, I love to build. So if I see an opportunity to build something, I am writing code. I'm building it. There could be a blind spot if you don't talk to scientists. You're not ground-truthing that. So test early. Don't wait to build a model and then deploy it and see that it magically solves a problem. Chances are there's a lot of noisy results that come out of that and your learning is decelerating. So 
my number one advice is to seek a scientific partner that you can engage with, go to the ground, go closer to the problem, and iterate fast. Try to lean on that rapid prototyping mindset to iterate fast and measure fast and try fast. Shifting gears a little bit, you know, I'd love to hear any thoughts you have on particularly any venture funds that you think are doing a, a really nice job in doing crossover work between climate and AI. Like who are the, the early stage funds that founders out there should look at if they're building a data-oriented or AI-oriented climate company? I'm going to take a slightly different approach of answering this. I don't want to name any specific firm and leave somebody out, but there's a mindset that I've seen shift, Cody, even as I've seen you know, founders raise capital. You're seeing two types of folks emerge as investors that know a lot about the potential of tech and are very passionate about the planet. And these are your tech entrepreneurs that now have reached the point where they want to drive impact. So you start seeing folks that have launched philanthropy arms after having an exit. You see it with Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos, but there's a lot of other folks that have been thinking about, hey, I had an AI company and I'm out of place in my career where I want to bring my expertise and fund companies and startups to really lean on the stack I have and their grit to build truly impactful solutions. So, you know, I would definitely draw founders to look at, if you're using data, look at data companies that have philanthropic arms to lean in on and then look at founders that have been in this space and who are some of the visionaries that have done some of that work and, and lean on them. And there's a lot of capital flowing in that, a lot of impact capital sitting in that bucket. That's really a great opportunity. Another area where I've seen a lot of work happen with investment and, and focus is those companies. They've opened up four good enterprises and four good investment arms. One really good example like, that comes to mind, and Twilio does this with impact. We've seen uh, Splunk do it with Splunk Ventures. You're starting to see these deep tech, core tech companies that are adding on an investment segment to their story. I love that answer. Thanks for that. And I guess that sort of parlays into my last question here for you, which is something I ask every guest on the podcast. And you've touched on some of this. So, you know, if you feel like you've already answered it, great. But if you have more advice, I'd love to hear one key piece of advice you have for entrepreneurs embarking on a climate-focused endeavor. Get your problem statement nailed down and then hack at it fast and with other people that break their mental models. Like really just collaborate with science collaborate with folks on the field, get out of, out of your comfort zone because there's a lot of truth sitting in that realm. There's so much learning and so much impact that can happen when climate and tech meet. It's an exciting thing to see entrepreneurs embark. So much more work is being done in the space. And Cody, I have to give you a shout out, even with your book, the way you framed some of that thinking. You know, it's a tremendous thing to give startup founders, entrepreneurs, this way of thinking that applies to a complex system. And do that with metrics that don't exist. So be fast, science focused, and just iterate, focused. Thanks, Naraj. Wow, it's so great. I could continue, obviously, this conversation for a long time. I always learn so much when getting a chance to chat with you. And thanks for sharing your knowledge with the folks listening to the podcast here. Look forward to the next few weeks of collaboration on the Techstars Sustainability Challenge. And can't wait to see who you all bring into the accelerator this year. And talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Excited. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate having me here. Thanks for listening today. We hope you enjoyed the discussions. You can check out the episode notes for more info about our guests and resources we mentioned. See you on the next episode of the Techstars Climate Tech Podcast. 